Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Piedmont, California. You might be wondering where that is. That's in the San Francisco Bay Area. Welcome to the show, Gary Beasley. Hi, Victor. Great to be on. Great to have you here. So, Gary, you've been involved in multiple different assets of real estate investing, uh, taking a company public. Today, your company is called Roofstock, and you're doing a lot of very high-volume transactions. Why don't you give us a little bit of your backstory on how you got to this point in your journey? Sure. So, I cut my teeth on real estate investing in housing really during the last downturn, during the Great Recession here, and, and ended up buying several thousand homes with my last platform called Waypoint Homes. It's now part of Invitation Homes, which is a public REIT. So really got an appreciation for single-family rental homes as an asset class, both for individual investors, which it historically has been as well as for institutions. And so I left there in 2015 with my co-founders to, to found Mark, uh, Roofstock, which is really a marketplace we think about it almost like an Amazon for houses where you could come to us and buy or sell properties that have tenants in them already in a turnkey fashion completely online. So sort of for today, it's pretty interesting in that you, we effectively have touchless delivery of, of houses. You could be anywhere in the world buying homes in over 70 markets in the, in the United States. I love that. It's one of those things that's been talked about for almost a couple of decades now as some as the wave of the future, but it's been a little bit elusive for a lot of companies. And what do you think has been the difference? Because certainly real estate is hyper local. The idea of doing it at a distance without touching and feeling it, something I'm personally comfortable with, but a lot of investors aren't. What's gotten you over that threshold of objection? I think it's a couple of things and, and really a, a couple of technologies have emerged over the last decade and become commonplace. And it's really the advent of mobile computing and cloud computing. So what that allows to happen is to efficiently, not only underwrite, but manage properties in a distributed way. So, so now you could own a bunch of houses and operate them essentially like a virtual apartment building, like a horizontal apartment building. Without those technologies, you're with, with yellow pads, trying to figure out renovations and underwriting homes. So I think it makes it much more efficient technically. So I think you had those technologies. The other catalyst was the Great Recession, which allowed institutional investors to begin investing at a great entry point. So you had this great entry point combined with the new technologies that allowed for the efficient underwriting and management of homes. Once an institution, an asset class becomes open to institutional capital, like single-family rental homes did about a decade ago, it never goes back, similar to apartments in the 1980s. Now it's a very large institutional asset class. And I think you'll see the same for capital flowing in to housing. When you perform due diligence on any asset, I typically recommend focusing on three things. One is the specific deal, that specific asset. Number two is that sub-market. And then number three, the people involved. Because at the end of the day, if you're talking about a turnkey investment, it's really all about the people because a good deal badly managed is no deal. It can evaporate in a heartbeat. So how do you walk the investor through all three facets of that due diligence? Sure. So we have basically turned a traditional real estate process on its head. What we do is we have a diligence vault that is populated uh, that you can, so you can do your diligence prior to actually making an offer on a property. So you can review inspection reports, 
title review, tenant ledger history, things like that. And you could run your numbers based on different assumptions using our calculators. The diligence is done up front, which is helpful. And our site is all about transparency. We have valuation reports on there, et cetera. The neighborhoods and the actual location, we, we do um, a lot of work there. We have a proprietary neighborhood scoring system. It's a one to five star system that takes into account things like employment, percentage home ownership versus rentals, school scores, et cetera. So you could, you could gauge neighborhood variability that way, which is a, a proxy of risk. And then on the management side, I think you raise a really important point. What we've done, uh, one, we have our own full stack property management company for institutional investors, but for individuals, we vet local property managers and put typically two or three on our site in each area where we're selling homes and allow people to choose their property manager. And we've negotiated service level agreements, good pricing, et cetera. And, uh, and we hold those guys accountable for really good service. And uh, so if there's any, ever any issues post-purchase, we've got those relationships with those property managers where we could go back and, and make things right. Well, and that's certainly the key because you certainly need at least, I don't know, 70, maybe 80 doors per property manager in order to have something that's economically viable. But if you're getting one 80th share of someone's attention, then you're not getting very much attention or very much service. So how do you convince the investor that they're getting sufficient mind share, sufficient attention that their property is going to be well looked after? The very point. So if, if we have, if we're working with a property manager who manages 500 homes in a particular area and you own one of them, but Roofstock has delivered 150 of those homes to that property manager, then you're essentially getting more of an enterprise level relationship there that you're, you can piggyback by being part of our network. I think that's so key. That's so key. So today we're in a unique environment where so far rental collections are holding up reasonably well. Yeah. A lot of that's been driven by stimulus money. We're also seeing reports. In fact, a report came out this week from Zumper that monthly rental rates are dropping in a lot of communities, some as much as 10%. Yeah. Uh, and how is that affecting your business going forward? You know, obviously dollar per square foot is important. How is that different in the single family home asset class as compared with the larger multifamily apartments? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, there's some fundamental differences. Multifamily tends to be a, a homogenous product. And if a rent drops on a single apartment, all of a sudden you have perfect substitutes for that apartment that now have a new price. And with rental homes, which are distributed, we have not seen prices decline at all. In fact, we're at record occupancies across our portfolio. Many of our areas are, you know, are for our institutional clients are 96 to 98% occupied and rents continuing to go up. So there's been a bit of a flight out of some of these larger urban areas into more suburban and secondary markets into rental homes there for lots of reasons, sort of trying to get to a less dense environment. So we're actually seeing unprecedented leasing and occupancy across our portfolio of single family homes. Most of the homes on our site, as I think you know, in, in these secondary cities and suburban markets, so not impacted by people kind of fleeing these more dense cities. I think that's where you're seeing the price declines is primarily in these larger urban areas. Well, that's certainly true. Uh, where you are, for example, in the San Francisco Bay Area, that led the country in terms of uh, price declines, certainly San Francisco proper. Yep. Um, 
Oakland, interestingly enough, not far from where you are, actually saw rent growth, 4.9% rent growth, both in one and two bedroom apartments over the past year. Maybe it's a looking for cheaper yeah. accommodations in the, in the Bay Area. And if someone's going to be working from home, might as well work from home where it's a little bit less expensive to live. Absolutely. I think you're seeing a little bit of a Brooklyn effect in Oakland. So there's been a lot of construction in Oakland. So I think it'll be interesting to see a year from now when a lot of that construction is delivered. I think you may see some softness there that isn't the case today because still a lot of that stuff hasn't come online. But that's one of the risks with apartments is it could become overbuilt much more quickly than the single family rental home market, for example. It's just a lot harder to add units and capacity when you're adding single family homes versus being able to go vertical in a city. So where do you source these single family homes? Are you buying existing product? Are you doing purpose-built communities or working with developers on purpose-built communities? All of the above. So so we're a marketplace. So we're not actually buying these homes and reselling them. We're, we're attracting sellers from all sorts of different channels and vetting and exposing those properties to buyers from all over the world. So, so really, we have over half of our inventory comes from just retail sellers who people like you, you and I who may have a home or two they want to sell through our site. Uh, and then we also have enterprise level relationships with developers who are building homes for rent. We work with some of the what's called iBuyers who buy homes and, and want to resell them. We work with real estate agents who sometimes bring us inventory they'd like to market through our site. So kind of a whole host of different supply channels. It's important for us as a marketplace to attract different kinds of inventory from different types of sellers. Who would you describe as your perfect buyer, the person who is your, let's say, your avatar for someone buying off the platform for a turnkey rental? It's interesting. I would say there's a couple of different common profiles. There's the sort of millennial who lives in the Bay Area or New York City, uh, renting today, buying their first property as an investment home through Roofstock, never seeing it and wanting to buy a home a year and, and build wealth that way. You also have um, you know, someone who might be more in the 45 to 55 age demographic who might be looking to um, get some exposure, exposure to real estate it doesn't want necessarily too much stock market exposure, might be selling down some of those positions, uh, buying homes this way. Now, up until models like ours, it's been very difficult to do this in a trusted way without having to fly all over the country. So what we're doing is trying to turn real estate investing more into more like a financial product that could be done from anywhere. So we're getting more and more of those types of folks. And also wealth managers and, and folks like that who are starting to discover us and, and wanting to figure out how they can help get their their clients some exposure to housing directly. There's a school of thought right now that says over the next three, six, nine months, as a lot of the forbearance agreements come to a close, um, we saw some statistics earlier this week that maybe as much as 4.3 million homes are in fact in that distressed category, although None of them have hit the market because of the moratorium on evictions and foreclosures. How do you think that's going to play into your marketplace as you fast forward six to nine months from now? Yeah, you know, no crystal ball. So it, it, my, my sense is I am not in the camp that expects this to have the kind of price declines anywhere close to what we saw in the Great Recession, which, as you know, is 30 or 35 percent nationally. Remember, up until that time, there had never been a national decline in home prices. And then we saw it for five straight years. I think that was 
an unprecedented credit bubble that, that drove that. I think here you have a real, real shortage of inventory and you have a lot of capital sitting on the sidelines and a lot of investors, particularly in the types of homes that we sell on our site, there's a lot of yield buyers. So if prices were to drop a bit, there's a lot of demand. So I suspect that you will see obviously some increased foreclosures, but I think the government's going to work very hard to minimize that. Obviously there's a moratorium now that keeps getting extended and it would not surprise me if we can skate through this without major foreclosures because it's not in anybody's best interest to have a, a you know a massive series of foreclosures, certainly during a, a, a pandemic. But I, I think what's what's interesting is even if prices do decline a little bit, I think you'll find rather than investors being scared away by prices going down, which happened during the last downturn, they might view that more as a buying opportunity. We've already seen buying come back really aggressively in the month of June, which after falling off a cliff kind of in April. So I think people are, are looking at this more as an opportunity, perhaps to get a little bit of a better deal and feeling confident that there's going to be renters in there over the long term. So I think what part of the fallout of this crisis is you may see more structural renters than owners. And as long as there's a lot of fundamental demand for the rental product, even if the price goes down on paper and you're not over levered, um, you can ride it out and still and still clip your coupon and build your equity value over time. I love it. Well, Gary, if folks want to get in touch if they want to learn more. What's the best way? Sure. The best way is probably just to go to our, our website, which is simply roofstock.com, uh, just how it sounds. Always feel free to email me. It's very easy if somebody wanted to reach out directly. Very simple. It's just Gary at roofstock.com. Feel free to, to shoot me an email or hit me up on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Well, it's a very interesting model you've got going and very curious to see how things are going to play out over the next several months. And congratulations on all your success. And for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Gary at Gary at Roofstock.com. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.